0: All right, well, we have, all the way from the second row, Michael Hansen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-oh. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, this weekend, we're, we have a baby dedication. So before I get into my talk, uh, let me invite some little ones up with their parents, of course. Uh, Brad and Emily Niley and Jay Niley Uh, Austin and Rachel Roush and Leander Roush. You guys want to come on up to the front here? And uh, so we're going to be dedicating these kids. And uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the book of Samuel, there's a a story where this woman, Hannah, has a little boy named Samuel. And uh, she brings this little boy to the temple to dedicate him to the care and plans of God. And really what Hannah did is... Is a picture of what these parents are doing today. It's, it's really a picture of, God, you gave me this little one in the first place, and now I'm, I'm giving him or her back to you. And, and uh, here at the Vineyard, we don't baptize little ones uh, because we believe that baptism is a personal decision that you make as a follower of Jesus. So the, it's not a magic age, but we would only baptize from 10 years and older. But parents, I want to uh, challenge you with a few things this morning. Uh, I want to challenge you that today as you're dedicating your child, it's, it's just as much for you uh, as, it is, as it is for your little ones. And uh, so let me challenge you with a few things here. I want to challenge you uh, to pursue a daily relationship with God and to really model that in front of your kids. That they uh, could see not a perfect life, but all the ups and downs of following Jesus. And uh, that they'd have a front row seat on what it looks like uh, to be a Christian I want to challenge you to build into your family practices uh, that will point these little ones to Jesus. And and then finally, I want to challenge you to keep yourself, your kids connected to the church family. That's being part of the church, coming to church, being part of, as they get older, in kids' church and youth group. And then when they start to drive, which is just around the corner. No, okay, you get what I'm saying. So why don't we have... Uh, Family and friends, come on up, and some pastors. We want to pray for these guys. We want to bless them, the parents, and these little ones. So come on up, family and friends. Let's gather around each one of them. I feel like I should. So, as a church family, I want to also encourage you to, you know, Pick one of them out and just if you're comfortable to extend your hand, uh, normally we do that. It's just your way of really getting engaged. I just want to invite you to be praying for these families too as we pray for them. So just, uh, it'll be quiet here for a little bit while they pray for them and then I'll, I'll pray and we'll end it off. So let's pray. Lord, the Bible says that uh, you knit these little ones together in their mother's wombs. The Bible says that these kids are a gift from you, and it says that you know the plans you have for these ones, and so as a church family, we bless these kids, and we do. We dedicate them to you, to your care, to your pursuit, to your love, your protection, your provision, and just as a church family, we, we commit ourselves to loving on these kids, and point them to you. I pray for mums and dads that you give them wisdom and uh, lots of joy as they parent. Just bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right, bless you guys. <clears throat> okay, so today we are going to be looking at John chapter thirteen. We've been in a series in the Book of John. Last weekend Heather looked at John uh, eleven. Great talk. Uh, it's, you can either listen online or. We have CDs. I think there's still some left out on the info counter. We have some eight tracks in the dumpster, if you can get them. But uh, uh, I'm skipping over chapter 12. I know that. I can count. And uh, But uh, JT will be coming back to chapter 12 uh, next weekend as we get ready for Easter. He'll be talking on Palm Sunday. But chapter 13 kicks off the the farewell message of Jesus. And chapters 13 to 17 of John, they they are they're the final words of Jesus before everything goes crazy and what I mean is uh, at the end of chapter seventeen they finish their dinner they leave they go to the garden of Gethsemane uh, where Jesus will be arrested and then by dinner time the next day Jesus is going to be dead and in the grave and uh, chapter thirteen verse one says this it says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, think about that. It says there that Jesus knew that the hour had come. Jesus knew that it was time for him to leave. Jesus knew as he sat there with his disciples, these guys that he's, you know, he's been hanging out with for three years and loving on them and pouring his life into them, he knew what was just around the corner. He knew the chaos that was going to break, break out you know, when he's arrested and all that's going to happen. He knew it all. He knew the, the fear, the struggle, the confusion that was coming. So what does Jesus say to prepare his disciples, his loved ones? What does He say to them, uh, uh, you know, knowing what's, what's coming? And you know, wouldn't that be I mean, what would you do if you knew that tomorrow something was going to happen in your family or in you know, your group of friends or people that are close to you, if you knew that something was going to happen that you couldn't stop, uh, that was going to cause great confusion, it was really going to uh, really stir things up in a very serious way, what would you say to your loved ones knowing that? I remember uh, last July, our oldest son was in a real serious car crash and, um, <clears throat> and I met you know, at the scene the uh, um, emergency responders were amazed that he was able to walk out of the car in his own steam. And he, so thankfully, he physically uh, was fine. I mean, the car was mangled and it really was a miracle. Uh, so he was fine physically, but it's been, a, it's been a bit of a road for him, both emotionally and, and, even, and even mentally. And as I thought about that, I was thinking, what would I have said to my son if I knew that was going to happen? What would I have said to him if I knew it was going to happen and I knew I couldn't stop it? I mean, I probably would have said, son, hey, it's dad. Don't drive over 30 miles an hour tomorrow. Keep it slow or wear a Michelin man suit if you can get your hands on one. <clears throat> or, uh, you know, th- knowing me, I would probably call him up and give him a refresher on, on defensive driving. <clears throat> probably, you know, all these things that I, I taught him when I taught him how to drive. Uh, but so what does Jesus say then? To the disciples. He's knowing what's coming. I mean, thankfully, Jesus doesn't just give them a theological refresher. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say this. Now gather round. This is the fun part of the talk, okay? Now gather round. Now hopefully you are clear on your paterology, which I have demonstrated through my Christology. Granted, the coming pneumatology and bibliology will certainly enhance and encourage your understanding of ecclesiology and eschatology. Any questions? Right? What does gather round mean? Right? It's like, it's sort of, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. What does he do? And it says this in your notes. It says, the greatest of these is, it's love. The greatest of these is love. Jesus focuses on love. He's leaving. Everything is going to blow up for these guys. And what is he in on? Love. And I'm not just talking Hallmark uh, Channel love or Valentine's Day sort of sappy love. I'm talking kingdom love, which we're going to look at this morning. And it's interesting in the book of John that chapters 1 to 12, uh, the word love is used 12 times. And now 13 onto to 21, the word love is used 44 times. That's significant. That's something we need to pay attention to. Jesus is making a point. So uh, as we look at chapter 13 today, Jesus is going to demonstrate to us Uh, what kingdom love looks like. And then he's going to invite every one of us to follow his example and to do the same. But let's pray before we jump into chapter 13. So Lord, I thank you for uh, another opportunity to gather. I thank you that your word, you say that your word is alive. And I pray today that your uh, word would uh, be very active in this room. You know who's here. You know what's going on. I pray that you would come. Uh, You would come and be very personal with each one here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if if you have a Bible, uh, page 1076. If you want to turn to chapter 13, we have Bibles at the front and at the back, and uh, you can also, of course, go on your smartphone, and scriptures will be on the screen. But let's start with chapter 13, and we'll read from verses 2 to 5. His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, we'll stop there. So number one in your notes, number one is the attitude, the attitude of kingdom love. And what I'm really zeroing in on are verses three and four where it says that, that uh, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he came from God. He knew that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towels around his waist. That's what I'm focusing in on. Because what we see in this is, you know, in the introduction I said Jesus knew that his time had come. Jesus knew that it was time for him to leave. But Jesus also knew, what I just read, he also knew that the Father had put everything under his power. And really what that means is Jesus knew that he now had authority over everything. He knew that. He knew as he was looking at these disciples, it's like, I mean, talk about the ultimate power position. He's he's like, you guys, I am Jesus. I am the son of God. I came from God. I'm going back to God. I am God Almighty in the flesh. I created everything. I even made you. I have unlimited power. I have unlimited wisdom. I have unlimited wealth. I have unlimited abilities and on and on and on. And he says, and knowing that, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna wash your feet. Right? I'm gonna take on, I'm gonna take my, my robe off, and I'm gonna take on the posture of a servant, knowing all that he knew, knowing what was coming. That's what he did. He humbled himself. The attitude of kingdom love is that the greater serves the lesser. The kingdom of God is what we call an upside-down kingdom. In the kingdom of God, the people with the power, it's not for their own, it's not just for them. If you have power, you have power for the sake of others. The blessing in your life are to bless others. The power is to serve others. And there's a song that I grew up singing, and I thought we all did. I, I invited everyone to sing it last night, and not one person knew it. And I'm like, man, I mean, uh, so the song, uh, it's taken out of Matthew 20. Do you remember this song? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Okay, okay, 10 church points, or whoever said that. I was amazed. Well, How can you not know that? What are you going to sing in heaven? But, but that church, or that song, really sums it up. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, greatness in the kingdom of God is learning to be the servant of all. It's the upside-down kingdom. The attitude of the kingdom is that freely you've received. You've been blessed, not just for you, Right? You've been given a position or a, a place in life, or whatever it is. And it's, it's for the sake, not just of you, but for others. And so consider this. You know, here we are living in uh, the richest nation in the world. We're living uh, in, in, a, in a country where we have resources available to us that the majority of planet Earth can only dream about. Like the, the poorest people in the United States are richer and live better than the majority of planet Earth. We're talking more than billions of people. And so when you hear that, what goes off in your mind? Do you think, oh, yeah, that's right. That's so true. We, we have been blessed we, we have been blessed to bless others. Is that what goes off in your mind? Or is it, is it you know, that's right, we are so rich. It really makes me want to be generous. It makes me want to give. And, or does this go off in your mind? USA, USA, sucks to be you, fill in the blank, USA. You know, is that what, is that what goes off in your mind? We need to understand and learn, continue to learn that the, the, attitude, of the, the attitude of kingdom love is very different Very different from the attitude of the American dream. It's really going the opposite direction. I read an article this uh, last week, and here's a cool title. It said, the the title was, Researchers Discover That Money Makes People Nasty. That's the title. And it was a professor at uh, University of California, Berkeley, and they did an experiment where they They had a hundred games of Monopoly and they brought in strangers. So two people would play a game of of Monopoly. And when the people would come in, they would flip a coin to randomly determine which person out of the pair would be the rich player in the game. And uh, the game was totally rigged to favor the rich. The rich player started with two times the amount of money. When the rich player would pass go, remember playing Monopoly, they got uh, double the amount of money when they would pass go. They got to roll two dice versus the other person only got one. And in this experiment, they had uh, hidden cameras, so they would, they, you know, they were observing people. And they said that the rich people, the rich players, increasingly as the game went on, got more and more confident and loud, and maybe you're elbowing the person beside you, but they would, I mean, they would start talking down at the person at the person. Remember these are strangers. It's not like family. They're talking down. They would be they would say things like I own you. You're going down. When they would move their game piece around the you know around the, the ta- on the table, they would be smacking it down like like some of you probably do. And so their their words, their body posture was all about dominance. It was like, you know, my position, I dominate you, and at the end of the game, they asked the players to talk about their experience, and here's a quote from the rich players. It said, the rich players talked about why they had inevitably won in this rigged game of Monopoly. They talked about what they'd done to buy those different properties and earn their success in the game, and they became far less attuned to all those different features of the situation, including that flip of a coin that had randomly gotten them into that privileged position in the first place. Now, now think of this. You and I could have been born anywhere. You and I could have been born into any family situation, any economic you know, situation. It's not the result of a coin flip that we are here. It's the result of God's choosing. And the words and example of Jesus are challenging us to look at our position, to look at the wealth, to look at the blessings of our life, and then and, and from that place to, to embrace the attitude of kingdom love, that I have been blessed, not just for me, but could it be that I've been blessed following the example of Jesus to now bless others? Uh, here's the example of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus knows, knowing his incredible wealth, chose, chose to humble, to limit, chose to, to take that wealth and use it not just for himself, but for us, for others. And you may be sitting there th- and, and, and thinking, uh, well, I don't really see myself as rich, and you know, let me challenge you that, that maybe... Uh, coming to that conclusion, maybe you're looking over the wrong fence. Uh, uh, we live in a culture that determines our worth by measuring us, you know, comparing ourselves to others. We, we live in a culture where we determine our worth by what we have, by stuff. Uh, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you determine your worth not by what you have, but by whose you are. You determine your worth by who you belong to. Uh, uh, Romans 8 16 says says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit speaks to the deep part of us that we are God's children Now if we are children, then we are heirs Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's who we are If you're a follower of Jesus, that's that's who you are. You know my wife Helen uh, Was born in London, England and uh, she was adopted there in England, and, and she does not know who her father is. And she's never met him, and, uh, and so we've been married now 31 years. Uh, I was 12 when we got married. And for years, I have teased Helen that we need to check this out, because I bet Prince Charles is your father. And, <laughs> and you know, and, but think about that. Silliness aside, think about it. If we found out tomorrow, if we got a letter saying we've done the DNA test and Prince Charles really is your father. I mean, suddenly, because of relationship with Prince Charles, suddenly we have become incredibly, incredibly rich. And that's what, that's what, what it says for us. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says uh, you are now a co-heir with Jesus. What's Jesus now, what belongs to Jesus now, it belongs to you. You've now been adopted into the family of God. You, I mean, Prince Jesus is your brother. I mean, talk about rich. All the riches of this kingdom are available to you. And you know, if you're here today and you're, uh, you would say that you're not a Christian, you're you're here, you know, maybe just checking it out or someone invited you and they promised you a nice brunch after the, after the service. What I'm talking about right now is really what, really the main part of what we mean when we say, hey, do you want to become a Christian? Really what we're talking about is do you want to start a relationship with Jesus? And, and, what, and, it's, and it's less about the rules and it's more about identity. Do you want to find out who you, who you really are? And, and, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's really to become a Christian, it's like Jesus is standing up here and he's saying to you, hey, I want you to be my brother. Say, you know, if you're a woman, I want you to be my, my sister. I, I, why don't you start a relationship with me? I want to introduce you to my father because my father wants to adopt everybody. That's really what it means to, be, to become a Christian. It's, it's such a big part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's, it's about identity. It's not all the rules and, you know, all those things that are important. Don't get me wrong. But the key sort of foundation of being a Christian is identity. That you're one of his kids. Which means Prince Jesus is now, is now your brother. And, and it's so important for all of us to grow in our understanding of who we are. Of how rich we are. Yes, as Americans, as Westerners. But also and especially as children of God. Because it, that belief really is the thing that frees you up to embrace the attitude of kingdom love. It's that belief and, and understand, growing an under, our understanding of that that really pushes back against that nastiness that's in all of our hearts, that nastiness that you know, makes it hard for us to, to, you know, to uh, follow the example of Jesus. So, so how do you nurture the attitude of kingdom love? And it's really simple. Thankfulness by being thankful. Thankful. That's one of the most simple and powerful ways to recognize and to grow in our understanding, our attitude of kingdom love, is just by recognizing the blessings of God in our lives. It's by recognizing the source of the blessings of God in our lives. And I guarantee you, if you will add these two words to your, uh, that these two words would increasingly be on your lips, thank you, both to God and to the people around you, if they're increasingly on your lips, I promise you that you will grow in this attitude of of kingdom love, of recognizing that you're blessed and that you truly are rich and yet you truly are in a position to, to give and to follow the example of Jesus to serve. So, knowing it, knowing it is one thing and really it's the easy part, but doing it, is the hard part when we talk about kingdom love. So number two in your notes is the activity, the activity of kingdom love. So let's skip down to verse 12. Here's what it says. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, Jesus, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So imagine that scene. They've gathered for dinner Jesus gets up and they're looking at him. I mean, uh, all eyes are on Jesus and they're looking at him. and He takes off his robe and they're like, what is he doing? Is it hot in here? Someone want to turn on the AC? <laughs> okay, but uh, uh, it's a tough crowd. It's a tough Sunday morning crowd. I welcome the challenge. But he gets up, he does that, and he, and he washes their feet and they're, and, they're, and they're watching him take on the posture of a servant, of a slave. And this is Jesus. I mean, they, like, Jesus is up here to them. He's the, like, they are giving their, they're walking away from their, their, their jobs. They're walking away from their livelihood to follow this guy. I mean, he is their hero. And suddenly he's doing this, and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, he does, he's done so many crazy things, if you think about his life, that they watched him do. But they're like, Jesus, what are you, why are you doing this? This is a servant's job. Why are you doing this? And the part I skipped over where uh, Peter and Jesus have this interaction where, you know, Peter's like, no, 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 you're not washing my feet, Jesus, not you. And Jesus looking forward, you know, pointing to the cross. Jesus knowing that what, this is way more significant than just washing dirty feet. It's a picture of the blood of Jesus washing the stain of sin from our lives. And Jesus is like, Peter, no, actually, I have to. And only I can wash that stain out. It's not just the dirt on your feet, Peter. In fact, this is so important that I do, that I do this because if, if I don't, you can't be in a relationship with me. And so Jesus, he, you know, he does that. He comes back. He sits down. And he goes, look, I've given you an example to follow. And what he's saying to us today is, what I've, the example I've given you to follow, it's not a suggestion. It's not like if you're going to follow me and if you feel like it and if you've been watching Hallmark Channel all week and you're feeling all warm and fuzzy, well then go and love on someone. no. What he's saying is, if, if you want to follow me, if you want to play in my team, this is how we do it. This is our kingdom plan. This is, this is the activity of the kingdom. Verse 17 says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And again, there's that upside down kingdom. Because wouldn't the world say, true happiness is found when everyone is serving you? Isn't that what the world says? But Jesus is saying, no, actually, it's the other way around. True happiness, true blessing is found in serving others, in loving on others. And, and again, it's not just the knowing it. It's, it's doing it that makes the difference. And isn't that one of the challenges every human being faces? We know lots. We know so much. The hard part is uh, putting that knowledge to work. Like, we all know when it comes to physical health, when it comes to diet and exercise i probably shouldn't be driving through the the going through the drive through every day right i probably shouldn't you know be a be a, a member at duck donuts it's probably not a good idea we all know that but it's so hard to do that we uh financially we all know that you know i probably should spend less than i make but if you look at the state of our nation obviously we don't we don't do that. The challenge is putting into practice what, what we know. And so, how do we follow the example of Jesus? Philippians 2.12 says, it says, uh, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So how do we go from knowing to doing. Well, what I've just read in, that, in those two verses, basically God is saying to us, he's inviting us into this, this lifestyle of, look, your job is to work out your salvation. Your job is to just do your best to try to follow the example of Jesus. You know, to look for opportunities to, to, to serve others and to love on others and give to others, all those things. And as you just take a little step forward in that, uh, it may seem feeble, it may seem small, but that little step you take, His promise—what He's promising in that scripture—is as you as you do that, I'm going to be doing a work inside of you that's actually going to be changing you to where you are. You're going to go from finding this super hard to do to where you're going to, you know, as you as you progress, you're you're going to go to a place where you're going to love following the example of Jesus. That you're really going to discover what I promise—that true blessing. And happiness is found in serving others. So what example did Jesus set for us? Well, it's to wash each other's feet. So if the ushers could bring in the bowls, that was like nervous laughter. Did I clip my nails? Are my toes clean? No, we're not going to do that. In fact, you know, maybe you've been in churches. I've been in churches where they take this very literally. Uh, Maybe you have too where they actually have foot washing uh, services. But it's so important when we read the Bible that we, that we remember that many times what was written in the Bible was written in the context of a certain culture. So when we look at first century Jer- Jerusalem, think about it. You're walking everywhere. You've got, you know, sandals. Uh, you've got dirt roads doesn't it make sense that your feet are constantly going to be getting dirty? So you go to someone's home, and they would have a servant wash your feet? Or if they, you know, Jesus is saying, here's an, here's, a, here's an opportunity to really show love and honor to your guests, that, you know, to wash their feet. But that's their culture. That doesn't, that's not how our culture functions anymore. So the example of Jesus is setting, that he is setting for us, is less about foot washing. And it's more about taking the posture of a servant towards each other. Philippians 2 verse 3 says this. You want to follow the example of Jesus? You want to be like Jesus? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So what is he saying? He's saying, you know, it's simply, you want to, you want to, you know, you want to take the attitude of kingdom love and put it into activity? It's simply looking for opportunities to treat others as better than ourselves. Easy peasy. Well, it's not easy peasy. It's hard. I don't know about you, but there's something in me that that does not come natural to me. So it takes purposeful effort. You have to start somewhere learning how to follow the example of Jesus. And for many of us, a great place to start would be in your commute. It would be on 71 as you're going to work. For many of us, our commute is a competition. And we. Well, I had certain words just come to my mind, I thought, I can't say those words. I'd probably be my last time. But some of us are jerks. We're jerks. I can say that one, can I? I just did. And I think God is saying to some people today, saying, here's an opportunity for you to wash someone's feet tomorrow when you're going to work. You go ahead. You go ahead. And when I let you go ahead, I'm not going to ride your bumper. I'm going to back off. You go ahead. I mean, uh, maybe it's in the grocery store. No, 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 you go ahead. I mean, that simple thing is going to nurture something in you. Because, I mean, think about it. Do you you always have to win? Do you always have to get your own way? Like, what about letting someone else get their way? What about letting someone else, you know, tell the story, or whatever it is. I mean, it's opportunities to wash people's feet. You know something, and this may sound really strange, and I got some uh, interesting feedback last night. Something that I've done for years to nurture. Well, one, to keep my ego in check, and two, to nurture an attitude of a servant, of treating others as better than me. Something that I've done for years now. When I go into a public restroom, this will sound strange, but stay with me. When I go into a public restroom you know, here at the church, at a restaurant, at a gas station, anything like that. And I go into that stall, and it's a mess. I'll clean it up. And you know, that's that was, I remember years ago, I felt like God said, hey, why don't you clean this up? I'm like, I'm not cleaning. Probably, probably some of you are sitting there going, I'm never shaking this hand again. I do wash my hands. I really do. <laughs> but But what a cool thing to do. Because why am I doing it? I'm doing it, one, because I want to... I want to learn to be like Jesus. And I'm, and I'm doing it because I'm honoring the next person who comes in. They don't know that, but God does, and that's all I really care about. But I'm honoring that next person, that they won't come in into a pigsty, but they'll come into a somewhat clean. So what can you do at home? What can you do at work? You know What can you do at school? What can you do to follow the example of Jesus? Where can you, you know, wash people's feet? Uh, I Because mean, you want to get close to Jesus. You want your relationship to grow with Jesus. Well, then you need to be and do what Jesus does and where he is. And one of the best places to, to grow in this area is at home. Because isn't it easier to be nice to strangers? Right? It is. It totally is. But the people closest to you, to me, that's where the rubber really hits the road. And every day I, I have an opportunity to wash Uh, to wash people's feet. So the the activity of kingdom love is serving others, treating others as better than ourselves regardless of the response or recognition that we get and that leads us to number three which is the risk, (coughs) excuse me, the risk of kingdom love. And now we'll move to verse 21. It says this. It says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, hey, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Now, when I read that story, and I know many of you are familiar with that story, here's, here's a question that pops into my mind. It's like or, or something that comes to my mind is, isn't it amazing that the master plan of God, the master plan of God to save the world would include having his son betrayed by one of his friends? And the psalm, psalm 41, you know, hundreds of years before this even happened. Psalm 41, the writer of the psalm prophesied that this would happen. That the Messiah would be betrayed by a, a friend you know that he eats with. And so I'm like why? Why would that be part of the story? Why would betrayal be be part of the of the story of Jesus and is it just for the sake of drama? Cuz I mean think of Hollywood movies and books, how many books and movies use that theme of betrayal? Is it just for drama? Is it I mean, I thought this this week, was it even necessary for Jesus to be betrayed? And what I mean is the religious leaders were up to here with Jesus. They were so angry at Jesus. They were so... They had already been planning to kill him. So was it even necessary for him to be betrayed? Well, in asking the question why, I believe that this being part of the story of Jesus is that it's another way that God says to us as human beings, hey, I understand the struggles of humanity. It's another way that God says what you've gone through, I've gone through. The pain that you struggle with, I've struggled with. It's, it's his way of saying, you can come to me with any hurt uh, and know that I understand. Know that I'm not like above it. That when my son, when Jesus came and walked this planet, he went through what you go through, just minus the whole sin part. I mean, when, you know, when, when, when God was in heaven and he's walking with Prince Jesus and They're talking about, hey, Jesus, one day I'm going to send you down there and and you're going to go and you're going to give your life for the sake of all of humanity. You're going to pay the penalty for their sin. What, What didn't happen was, you know, Jesus did not live a privileged life, like that he's just so distant from what it really is like to be a human being. It wasn't like God put his arm around Jesus in heaven and said, hey, son, it's time to go. Remember we talked about that? You're going to go down there and die for all of humanity and pay the penalty for their sins. And, but just know, son, that you're going to be living in five-star hotels the whole time. Free Wi-Fi. And you're going to be, you're going to be you know, eating the best foods you could ever eat. And you're going to have a cushy life, Jesus. In fact, you're even going to have a cushy death. I'm going to have you put up in a state-of-the-art, IKEA-like hospital where when it's time for you to die for their sins, we're just going to give you a little shot. You're going to go to sleep, and then three days later, I'll wake you up, and you'll be back. Is that how it went for Jesus? Not at all. When Jesus came to earth, he was born into poverty. I mean, Jesus really was born in a barn. He was born in slop, he he you know he <clears throat> he grew up in a, in a with a family arrangement where people would look at that family and Jesus was the was the bastard child like does, who's his father who's you know like what's going on in that couple in their, in that family's lives he uh, his, as he got older his own family thought him crazy he was constantly hounded and harassed by the religious leaders he was betrayed by Judas his friends his disciples. Ran away when he was arrested. And he was all alone. He was tortured. Brutally, brutally murdered. See, when I look at this story of betrayal, I really believe it's for our benefit. It's his way of saying, I know. I know what that's like. Just because I'm God doesn't mean I I, I was somehow cushioned from that. I know what it's like to have someone close to you betray you and hurt you and so I, I, it's, it's his way of saying I know but it's also his way of giving you and I a heads up because he's saying if you're going to embrace and live kingdom love just like me you're going to get hurt people not just strangers people close to you people that you're intimate with are going to betray you they're going to hurt you people that you've loved, served, poured yourself, poured your resources into, they're going to respond to your kindness with hurtful words and actions. And verse 26, it says, Then dipping the piece of bread, uh, Jesus gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And in their culture, to do that at the table, to take that bread and dip it in that sauce and give it to someone at the table, that was a sign of friendship. That was a sign of saying, of special friendship. And Jesus, Jesus knew. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. He knew it. And still, he, he served him. Still, he loved him. He knew it the whole time. <clears throat> and when he was washing the disciples' feet, it's not like he skipped over Judas. There was nothing in the way that Jesus treated Judas that the disciples went, hmm, I think there's something going on. I think Jesus is upset with Judas. Because when Judas walked out, they were clueless. They, they were clueless that there was, of what was really going on. And just imagine when Jesus, he's down, you know, he's got the towel around his waist, and he's, and he's kneeling down before Judas, and he's washing his feet, and he looks up into his eyes. And it's like, I know. I know, Judas. I know what you're going to do. And still, still, he loved him. I mean, uh, he knows it all. And still he loves us. I mean, what, what would you do? If you knew someone was going to betray you, how would you treat them? I mean, I don't know about you, but I would avoid them. If I knew someone was going to betray, betray me, it would be like shields on full Scotty, phasers on what's, I don't know what's beyond stun, that's all they ever say. But, but I would be, I mean, I would hold back. And Jesus is saying to us, you want to follow my example? He's calling us to love them. He's calling us to love them, regardless of the response. And, and, I mean, what a risk. Kingdom love is a risk. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, "'To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries.' Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And for many of us today, the wounds of betrayal and broken trust have caused us to stop loving. The wounds have caused us to, to stop opening our hearts to others. And, you know, uh, increasingly we find ourselves avoiding certain people or avoiding people, period. For some, we pour our love into things, into hobbies, into pets, because they're safer. Because it's, there's less risk there. And this morning, what, what, what Jesus is saying to you, if that's you, he's saying... I want to heal those wounds. I want to heal those wounds for some that you've carried for years. I want to heal those those wounds. And, and, and even in saying that, it's you know, not to hear that it's like, you know, it's it's like, yeah, you just gotta get over it. Jesus knows the, the, the depth of those wounds, the deep betrayal, and, and you know, and really what he's saying for many of us, what he's saying is it's time to forgive. It's time to forgive that person. Uh, and, and really, what is forgiveness? It's, it's taking the situation, the person, and, and it's, it's, it's handing that person over to Jesus and let him deal with that person. And I, you know, I remember hearing uh, Rich Nathan down at Vineyard Columbus, uh, he said, you know, forgiveness, for, extending forgiveness to another person has no strings attached. Because the Bible is very clear that we are commanded to forgive the way that we have been forgiven. And so forgiveness, there's no strings attached. But what Rich, his quote goes on and he says, but reconciliation, you know, renewing relationship with that person has lots of strings attached. And what that means is you may never, you may never have anything to do with that person again. Or maybe it'll take years. But either way, it's time to forgive and to be freed from the power of that betrayal from the power of that wound and you know and why is that important well that's important one just because you're you're walking wounded and the heart of God is to heal the heart of God is to restore and and to mend and to to bring life and but it's also important because you and I loving others serving others regardless of the response following the example of Jesus is a key part of his kingdom plan John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How will people know that we belong to Jesus? Well, it's by the way we treat each other, by the way we love each other, and God wants to heal and restore those, and, and heal those wounds to, to set us free again to love, to love the way he's, uh, to follow his example. And you know, when you, when you look at that, is it any wonder that relationships are so hard? Is it any wonder that, you know, home can seem like a battleground? Uh, that church, your small group, sometimes it can seem like a battleground for some people, or, or at work, it can seem like a battleground. And I am convinced that the enemy Knowing the power, knowing the power, uh, uh, just the, the powerful effect of when a person embraces the attitude of kingdom love and starts moving out in the activity of kingdom love and, and taking the, you know, uh, uh, the risk of kingdom love to love people regardless of the response, the enemy knows how powerful that is, and that is why he's constantly working to keep us in a place of, of woundedness. So why don't don't we stand up? Um, Sarah's going to end off with a song here, and uh, I just want to invite some folks forward for prayer. And it's a... uh, You know, I mentioned earlier in the talk about uh, a relationship with Jesus. And... Uh, just that, that it's, it's an invitation It's—it's it's it's an invitation into relationship with Jesus. And if you're here today, and if that hooked your heart when I said it, I want to ask you to do something that might be uh, new to you or brave. In a second, I'm going to invite other people forward for prayer. If that's you, I want to invite you to come on up with those people. Uh, and let, let your, I mean, to receive that, to start a relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is, is really just say, yes, I, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. It's just like being introduced to someone. And I would invite you to come forward with, those, with the other people that will be coming forward in a sec. And, and someone will be up front here to pray with you, to introduce you to, to Jesus. But I also want to invite up, uh, and again, I know this is, is sensitive, but for those that you know, yep, I got a wound. And that wound is, is uh, like, it's hurting me. I want to encourage you and invite you to come on forward to, uh, just to start that process of, of forgiveness. And of God coming close to, to heal that wound that you have. I also had a, a sense that for some of you, you know you're a complainer. Just put your hand up. No, don't put your hand up. But you know you're a complainer. And I felt like God said, your complaining is getting in the way of, of you shining Jesus to people. Because it's, 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 it's not loving. It's not serving. Really complaining says, I'm not getting what I deserve. And if you know you're a complainer, we want to pray for you and that, that you know, God would have a face-to-face with you and, and, and just talk that through. Um, I also had a, a, a picture of, of couples, married couples, and I felt like I, I saw the, these uh, couples washing each other's feet, and I, and I really have a sense today that there are couples here that you are in a hard place in your marriage, and you're struggling as a couple, your love for each other. It's just a rocky season. And I felt like God said he wants you to wash each other's feet. And whether that's literally to do that, I think it's more he wants you to look for ways to serve each other and that that will bring uh, uh, healing to your relationships. We want to invite you forward. And then uh, we always love praying uh, for the sick. And uh, last night I had this sense, so I'll throw it out again today. People who have either chronic nausea or chronic nausea. Or even have nausea now. If, is there anyone here that has that? Either chronic nausea, or they have nausea right now. I mean, how good was my message? Do you have nausea right now? Okay. So if that's you, I just I just feel like God really wants to minister to you. But if you're if anyone is sick, we love to pray for the sick. Uh, so and then JT, you got a word? Yeah, go for it, bud. Yeah,
1: this this word goes off of what, one of the things that Michael said. But I, I think there are people who are specifically uh, hurt by someone in leadership in the church, um, and, and God wants to minister to that this morning.
0: Good. All right. If that's you, any of these words are you, or if you're sick, we'd love to pray for you. Just come on forward. Someone will be here. Guys for guys, gals for gals, to put a hand on your shoulder, they'll pray for you. So uh, if you don't come forward for prayer or to pray for someone... Sarah's going to lead us in a song, and I just encourage you to to join in and sing, and then I'll come on up and end the service. But come on forward, and we'll pray for you. someone praying, guys for guys, gals for gals. Oh shit. You're nudging and whispering to people. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to be like Jesus. Lord, that you would open our eyes to how blessed we are. Open our eyes to how rich we are. Lord, I I pray for those who struggle to see themselves as, as being adopted into your family. I pray this week for just a greater understanding and experience of being one of your kids. Uh, But I do pray that you would teach us as a church how to serve and love the way you do. do. So I pray blessing over each one that's here. I pray that you'd watch over us this week. Uh, Help us to love those close to us. We just uh, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we'll bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, Make sure to pick up some of those uh, Easter invite cards. Invite your friends and neighbors, etc. But uh, bless you. We will see you uh, hopefully on Friday for our service here. But uh, have a wonderful afternoon.
2: tongues of fire
1: your kingdom
3: And so we will trust in you.